Welcome to Stay Gold, an Outsiders podcast. My name is Sam Mulberry, and I am joined by... Esme Mulberry. We are working our way through the 2005 release of The Outsiders, the complete novel by Francis Ford Coppola, his reimagining, his retelling of his 1983 film, The Outsiders, but we're doing it in five-minute segments. And we have made it to the final episode of this project, so minute 110 through minute 115 and the end of the episode. Um, we don't really have a previously on because this is the last episode, and at this point we are just in credits. The the, mm-hmm. the uh, narrative of the of the movie ended, and we got a little bit of credits in the last episode. So we can jump right into the summary here because the only thing we really want to say is uh, what's playing over the credits is the song Stay Gold by Stevie Wonder, written by Stevie Wonder and Francis Ford Coppola. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is one of the few pieces of the original film score that remains in the complete novel. Um, now, and it, it we have it at the beginning of the movie. We heard this. We hear this at the end of the movie, and then throughout, at certain points, like when they're up at Windricksville looking at the sunset, we get an instrumental version of this. Mm-hmm. So I think we also get it when Ponyboy and Cherry are talking. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I think it comes up at some different times in the... Yeah, um, and then isn't it like at the end when the brothers are together? Yes. Something that yeah, we get a little instrumental like, stagel. Yeah, I think it's yeah. there too. So, um, so that's, it's like the one musical theme from Carmine Coppola that, um, that, that remains. Mm-hmm. So um, I thought we could do a final deep dive. We're going to do this episode out of order. We have a lot of kind of wrap-up summary questions in this episode. But I thought we could do a final deep dive on Mr. Stevie Wonder. I'm actually curious. Are you aware, Stevie Wonder, somebody who, to you, is a is a meaningful person? Because he very much so is in my life because of when I grew up. Not really. Okay, he was like one of the dominant pop stars of the 1980s, and mm. of all the people involved in this movie, I mean, arguably Coppola and Stevie Wonder were probably the people who were most at the pinnacles of their career. Um, this is a, this is the beginning of Coppola's kind of. Uh, you know, a descent from the mountaintop, and Stevie Wonder's sort of at the mountaintop is going to remain there throughout throughout uh, most of the 1980s. So, he's born May 13th, uh, 1950, in Saginaw, Michigan, and he was born six weeks premature uh, with uh, retinopathy of prematurity, which led to his being born blind. Um, so he began playing instruments at an early age, including piano, harmonica, and drums. Um, he formed formed a singing partnership with a friend, uh, who and they called themselves Stevie and John. They played on street corners, occasional parties, dances, things like that. And at age 11, he enrolled in the Michigan School for the Blind in Lansing, Michigan. So that was in 1961. Also in 1961, uh, Stevie, as an 11-year-old, catches the attention of Motown mogul Barry Gordy, Barry Gordy uh, and producer Clarence Paul, who gave him the name Little Stevie Wonder. Uh, by 1983, Wonder when the, when this movie comes out, Wonder was 33 years old. He had ar- already released 23 albums by the age of 33. He had been nominated for 29 Grammys, uh, winning 12. So so the um, late 60s, early 70s was this uh, really fruitful time musically for Stevie Wonder. Um, so he was already an established music superstar when uh, he was brought in to perform the title track to The Outsiders along with Carmine Coppola. Um, the song is, as I said, is among the only remnants of the original score in the complete novel. 
Uh, Wonder would go on from this um, to be a really a dominant musical force throughout the 1980s and beyond. He released seven more albums, was nominated for 31 more Grammys, winning 10 more. Uh, he was also nominated for and won an Oscar in 1984 for the song I Just Called to Say I Love You from the movie Woman in Red. In 19, uh, in, excuse me, in 2014, he was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom by President Barack Obama. So um, one of the really like uh, landmark figures in uh, the second half of the 20th century in terms of American music and American culture. So a really important person to play a role in this film. What's your thoughts on the song Stay Gold? Um. Okay. Okay. I I, I can mm. judge from that that you're trying to think. Let me give you some ways into that question. Um. What are your thoughts about that song in relation to it being a product related to the Outsiders, not just as a yeah. song, but as an Outsiders um, adjacent song? If you look at the lyrics, it it like fits the theme of Stay Gold. Yeah. I mean, it's is, all about yeah. that, really. Yeah, that's yeah. what it's about. So, like in that way, it's good. It's just, in the 1983 version, it fit better with the rest of the music. But then it was also weird because it was like this one song that has words in it that then comes up in other times. So in different ways, it both fits and doesn't fit in both the movies. Yeah, yeah. No, I like that That it, it is as if Stevie Wonder read The Outsiders and then said, I'm going to write a song about The Outsiders. I mean, that's what yeah. it feels like. Um, about this sort of major theme of the outsiders without a la Jamestown revival talking about the dallies of the world and things yeah. like that. Like, like, so in, in, I mean, it really, it's a better song than either song we heard from the outsiders musical potentially, mm-hmm. uh, because it's, it's less on the nose and more is just on that theme of sort of the, the goldenness of youth and trying to stay, you know, stay with yeah. that kind of purity or, or innocence or things like that. How about just as a song? As a song, it's okay. Like, it's not the kind of song I would listen to. It's kind of cheesy, but it's not like, it's not bad. Yeah, yeah. It's it's cheesy in a way like some a lot of 80s pop music was cheesy. If yeah. you listen to Stevie Wonder in the 70s, that music's pretty great. Some of his 80s stuff, which became big hits, is a little, like, if you've ever heard the song, I Just Called to Say I Love You, like... It's kind of it's kind of cheesy too, mm-hmm. like so. So it's sort of in the vein of where maybe Stevie was at, and where uh, a strain of American pop music was at. So it's mm-hmm. it's consistent with that. It's definitely not among his best works. Although I will say, the first time we watched the movie, I remember hearing this song and just thinking, "Oh, I hate this." <laughs> and now it's like I listen yeah. to it. And I'm like, it's it's pretty good. It's, yeah, you know, it's it's not like you said. It's not something I'm going to turn on to listen to unless I specifically want to listen to it for outsiders' reasons. Yeah, because like I know the first time, maybe the first couple of times I heard it, I was like, "Oh, this is a dumb song," but now like we just listen to it, like it's pretty good. I think it's one of those that you just have to listen to a couple times and kind of learn it and really listen to the words. And then it's like, yeah, it's fine. Yeah. And it's, it definitely is advantaged by you listening to what it says. Yeah. 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 No, I think, I think that's definitely true. So, um, should we, let's, let's move into just some kind of general thoughts about this podcast project. Um, this is something we conceived of, uh, quite a while ago and just sort of talked about what if we did this. And Mm -hmm. I think we went in not knowing what we were going to learn from it. So maybe that's where I want to start is what do you think you've learned from this podcast project? We've done, you know, this is our 23rd episode talking about this movie. So slowing it down 
you know, mm-hmm. watching it in these smaller chunks, being a, being really more focused on what's happening, kind of beat by beat through it, um, thinking about adaptation, things like that. I'm curious, what, what do you feel like you've learned? Um, well, like, kind of like with what you're just talking about, like when you are slowing it down, really, I feel like there's so many little things in movies that I'm noticing now. So a lot of the times it's just like little lines that are thrown out or like little things that the actors do. Where when you slow something down a lot or you're looking for it, you notice them so much better. And you can really see sometimes like how good some actors are by even just little stuff they're doing in the background. Yeah. Um, Yeah, like when you were talking about, um, I forget what episode this was, but how Estevez as 2-Bit in the background was doing this thing where he was stacking his shoes and his beer cans. mm -hmm. And it's like that's an interesting little character thing that is – you're not supposed to notice, but if you watch the five minutes over and over and are taking notes and you're looking at the screen, you're like, huh, yeah. that's there. Yeah. No, I think I think absolutely. One of my big takeaways, and I, we've talked about this throughout, is the, the power that music has in films. I don't think I always yeah. pay attention to that. But the difference between the score of the original film and this as a film that instead is just like needle drops, it's like, oh, we're going to play another pop song, another pop song. Mm-hmm. Um that 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 radically changed this movie where I yeah one thing we haven't done yet which I think we'll do is go back and watch the 1983 cut I think it's going to be hard to watch I think it's mm-hmm. going to be hard to watch without uh without all the the sort of period music yeah and I think even not just what the music choices are is that watching some scenes from the 83 version there's just some scenes where there's no music right and that makes it feel very different of like just having this conversation and a lot of the times the part with no music are like not really important conversations so it's like your focus on it and the feeling that you get from the scene is so much it's so different Mm -hmm. yeah you get you get a maybe a little bit more verite feel of like this is a a more naturalistic kind of way to film but yeah i i i do think um the few times where we went back and compared side by side the two the the 1983 music really sounded silly. I mean, I think yeah. my another takeaway of this is that the big loser from the complete novel is Carmine Coppola. Like, mm-hmm. if you just take out the stuff, his contribution, you're like, this movie gets materially better. Yeah. Do you have other other takeaways? Um, I don't know. I mean, what about I, you? one that I thought about, um, and this, and I think Coppola is doing this a lot, is that. You think about things like film as like a a medium where you have everybody put all this work into it and then the thing is created and it exists. This was created in 1983 and it exists. And this makes me think about film potentially as a living medium a little bit more that, you know, a director could go back and say, well, let me revisit that project and yeah. that that could and that that could be good. I think people of my generation were burned by George Lucas, another one of the sort of filmmakers to come out of that 1970s era, like who in the late 90s went through and reworked the three original Star Wars movies and made them all, most people agree, worse. So so there's this sense of like, oh, please don't touch your old, your old things, you know? Mm-hmm. But this was kind of great. I have heard yeah. his remake, or his, not his remake, his reissue, his re-edit of The Cotton Club is great. I haven't seen The Godfather Cody yet, his reworking of Godfather 3, but I've heard that makes that movie better. So that's been a that's been a revelation to me. It's like, well, maybe maybe yeah. I should be, 
in the right hands, I should be open to film being this medium, which can be more iterative than, um, than I'm giving it credit for. Yeah. Um, I think I also came to appreciate some of the performances and some of the performers more. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- and, and part of this is a product of the complete novel where we get a little bit more of these performances, but I walked out, uh, I mean, one of the revelations for me is honestly is Emilio Estevez. Yes. I thought he, I'm a huge Martin Sheen fan. So Estevez's mm-hmm. father. And uh, I've always, I mean, I think about Emilio Estevez and I think about The Breakfast Club and a couple of other things. I'm like, he is fine. Mm-hmm. He's really good in this movie. His, yeah. I, I like his character a lot more, but I like him as an actor a lot. And he mm-hmm. he really does feel to me um, like an like a kind of echo of Martin Sheen. And, I, and I'm, like I said, I really like Martin Sheen. So I that's that was kind of a revelation to me. Yeah, I kind of feel the same way too, because also like I really do like the character of 2-Bit. And a lot of the times when I see like a movie version of a book, the actor who plays my favorite character I end up not liking. So I always feel like they ruin it. But like, I really liked Estevez. I was, I didn't have any problems with the way he played his character. And that's actually how I feel about a lot of the actors in this movie. Is yeah, like, absolutely. I have no complaints really for most of them. Yeah. I mean, we had some fun with Tom Cruise as we were going through this project because I do think he is, um, He's bringing like an elite amount of energy, you know, yeah. and it's so he's so he's kind of just and and what's funny is having having you know forty years of Tom Cruise since then to have watched it's so interesting to see like it's like they gave him such a small part, but he's trying to put a movie's worth of energy into these, so mm-hmm. he comes off as as this strange character, but even that was fun to see, yeah, yeah, I would say my other the other performer who I came to. Appreciate and it's somebody that if you had asked me beforehand, do you like this person's work? I would have said, it's not really for me. Um, is Elvis Presley? I thought the yeah. Elvis music in this is really good. And what's interesting is, uh, while we were working on this project, we went and saw the Baz Luhrmann Elvis film, which does a lot of Elvis's like big hits. Yeah. And none of those movies appear in, or none of those songs appear in this movie, right? These are all like deeper Elvis cuts. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Coppola did a great job yeah. of selecting the Elvis songs that he put into this. I think there were six in total, six or seven. Yeah. Um, so I feel like I feel differently about Elvis now, hearing some of this stuff and not, you know, you know, and it's not like a hound dog blue suede shoes um jailhouse rock but like these other songs and some of them were fit so well yeah. in the movie so he's somebody else i feel like i came to appreciate mm-hmm. so we talked about um you know a, i think a big theme in this podcast project has been adaptation right we talked about how this is an adaptation of the book and how that was really coppola's motivation for putting out the complete novel is saying i want to present a better adaptation or telling of the se hinton book so on every episode we we did a segment called book corner where you rated the book in terms of rated each five minutes in terms of its fidelity to the book on a scale of zero to ten so i'm curious now that we're at the end and if you think about the film as a whole how would you rate this film as a whole on a scale of zero to ten in terms of its fidelity to se hinton's book hmm hmm Okay. I want to give it like a high score um, because 
I have been so disappointed by so many mood movie adaptations from books. Um, and I feel like this version, is, this movie, especially the 2005 version, stays so true. They change little things. They cut out some parts that frustrate me a little bit. Um, they add in a little stuff at the end. But um, mostly, like, I feel like it's really true. So I think I want to give it, like, a seven, maybe seven and a half. Okay. What would you rate the 1983 version? Now, I realize it's been a while since you've seen that. But if you're saying mm. seven, let's say seven and a half, or what do you want to say? I think I want to say seven and a half. It's, it's, so if we're saying seven and a half for this, what would you say the 1983 version was? I would bring it down to like a five. Because okay. it's just like the stuff that they have in it is still pretty true to the book, like the lines and stuff and like what happens. But they just cut out so much more, you get a very different feel. Mm-hmm. And since you lose, like, the beginning and they cut out, like, the trial, they cut out the ending, it's a much lower score, but they do stay true in some ways. Sure, sure, especially to some of the characterizations and things yes. like that. Yeah. So I went through and, and averaged out. So you've given 22 scores to each five minutes. You've mm-hmm. given a score. Um, so I was curious what the average score was compared to what you score the movie as a whole. And do you guys see your average is higher or lower? Higher. Your average is lower. Oh. You averaged 6.9 was your average. Oh. uh, If we were to just average this up, because you definitely, I feel like there were one or two five minutes where you gave it a nine. Yeah. But there were quite a, not quite a few. There were a handful where you went as low as four or five. Mm -hmm. And I think those pour that down. But I think that that, that's a testament to, um, kind of the idea that the whole is greater than the sum of its parts that if you're looking at any five minutes you might feel one way but when you look at the thing as a whole yeah you might feel a little bit different about it so mm-hmm. yeah so i mean i think and i think you're relatively close there i mean your initial thing was to say seven and it's like well 6.9 and seven are yeah. you know pretty much the same number so um so you kind of land and i feel like that feels about right um i think 7.5 actually feels right i would say 7.5 or 8 there are yeah. some big things that we wish were there, mm-hmm. um, and we'll, we can maybe talk about those. But um, but I think that by and large, this feels so much closer to the Hinton book than the '83 cut. Yeah, um, I am not even thinking just stuff they cut out, stuff they add in, like a lot of the stuff at the end with Dally, mm-hmm. where you see him like rob the store and stuff like that is kind of breaking the narrative because it's supposed to be a story Pony Boy's telling. Sure. So I, that is also kind of what I thought about. When I was scoring this for the whole movie. Sure. No, that makes sense. Um, so the 2005 release was very different. We've maybe hit on some of this stuff, but what do you think the best changes were from 83 to 2005? I think the they're both the biggest changes and like the most important is adding in the scenes from the beginning where you establish the characters and who they are at the beginning so that then later like it actually gives meaning to when he comes back to his house and they're all there um and i also think adding in the ending is super important because in the 83 version they don't have the trial and they don't resolve that whole Mm storyline so when you take that out it both changes what happens from the book and also doesn't really make sense yeah i agree i think that uh, it celebrates the cast so much more mm-hmm. because the outs- one of the things you think about uh, if, if anybody thinks about the, f- the movie The Outsiders is they think about it is this ridiculous cast 
of of act of young actors about to explode. And when you watch the '83 version, it's kind of disappointing because if you think about it, like Rob Lowe appears in it, but he doesn't really do much of anything. Yeah. Um, in this version, you get so much more Rob Lowe. With that added scene at the beginning, you get uh, kind of a centering of the characters more. You get more Swayze. You get more Low. You get more Cruz. Um, you get a you get the full introduction to Dally Winston, which I think matters a lot. Yeah. I think the biggest addition is that the the opening. Yes, you know, I think getting so all too. that stuff at the opening. I would. I think I would rank that even higher than the music because the music's really? the other big addition. Yeah. Well, man, that's hard. No, no, no. The music's number one. Music's yeah, number music's one. Yeah, music's number one, I think. Because I actually would love to see the 83 cut just with the new music and see how see if that how much that alone mm-hmm. would change it. But I do think learning so much more about the – getting to spend so much more time with them and that opening scene gives you this kind of expansive introduction because that's – you start with all of them together. Yeah. And I think, like, it's hard to decide which is more important, those extra scenes or the music because the music, like – changes the movie in like kind of a filmmaking sense of it feels better it is more enjoyable to watch but the other scenes change it in the storytelling sense Mm -hmm. where then it's like since i've read the book before in some ways that's a little less important because i already know that stuff but like if you didn't read the book watching the 83 version be very confusing so in that way I would say the scenes are more important, but sure. it's it is made for people who have read the book. But to your point, you're often you say you're often disappointed by the movies uh, books because they cut out stuff that seems so important. Yeah. So yeah, it it, it it's a toss up. I, I I would love to see the the complete novel with the Carmine Coppola score, and I'd love to see the '83 cut with the complete novel score. Yeah. Just to kind of see like. How, which of those do I think is better would be kind of interesting because I think those are the two big biggest additions. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you still change about the 2005 film? Because um, it's not perfect, right? Yeah, it's how, not how perfect. How do we get that from a 7.5 to like a 9 or a 10? Okay, there are a couple things. One of them is the whole sunset stuff. Having the rest of that conversation with Ponyboy and Cherry where they talk about the sunset I think is important because it's such a good... Not even, it's not just an important thing in the book. It's such a good thing in the book of that kind of of the symbolism and the metaphor of the sunset. And then it works so well with Stay Gold. And I'm really sad that they took that out. Um, and then the other thing I would change is we talked a lot about, I forgot what episode it was, but um, the conversation that Ponyboy and Randy have mm-hmm. of actually making that the full conversation. That That's maybe my number one. I, yeah. I, I'm with you on the sunsets, but I do think... I feel like the part where that hurt us the most going through this was the that Randy part because it feels like that should be so much. So it's so yeah. important and it's the stuff that makes me think a lot and then they just they just don't do it. It's and it's like yeah. you, like you said in that episode it's almost as if it appears there or excuse me that it happened but they're not showing that part of the conversation to us because it almost feels like they're referring to a conversation that they didn't have. Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah, it just it cuts out all that stuff. And then I would say, I would mm-hmm. say my fix to that would be, uh, and I, we talked about this, either in that episode or the next one, is to flip the roles. Mm-hmm. And to make Tom Cruise Randy 
and Nicolas Cage is sitting right there on Francis Ford Coppola's racket. Make Cage Steve. Cage is famous for his weird high energy. Like, he would be great as Steve. And then you get Cruz playing the preppy Randy. And I think this movie, it allows you to do that scene better. Because I wonder if maybe Darren Dalton's not up to that scene. Maybe. But I think Cruz, I think, I mean, from everything we've seen of Cruz over the course of his career, he is up to that scene. Yeah. Um, It gives him a better part. I mean, he's in the movie a little bit less, but he's got a much better part. He's got a, like a full-on five-minute moment of this movie. That's a crucial mm-hmm. moment of this movie. I feel like it showcases him better, and then it gets Cage into the movie, you know, beyond just being a potential extra in the Rumble. I think that movie, I think that change would launch this movie. Yeah, I think it would, too. Um, <laughs> Here's a question that I have that I was thinking about, and maybe this is a dumb question, but do you think... A remake of this story could work in 2022. Well, I think they could, in theory, make a remake and it could be good, but I don't feel like you need to. Okay. It just seems like you could plausibly do it, but I don't know why. Here's here's what I wonder about, and, and it's why I wonder, I mean, this has been part of um, part of middle school curriculums for a long time, but it's I don't, but I feel like this, it may be starting to phase out. And I wonder if a story like this, and especially a movie like this, is too white. So, like, if you remade this mm. now, would it be like, would it, would that, does that, yeah. would that read or feel a little different? So, I was wondering instead, and tell me how you feel about this. What if you did a s- kind of spiritual remake of this, where it's like you took these themes and ideas but set them somewhere else where you allowed it to have... Now, here I think would be the key. Could mm-hmm. you allow it to have the same complex relationships around class? Because this is a movie about class, not about race. Yeah. But that also maybe included some elements of race in it, maybe some elements of gender in it for that matter too. Mm-hmm. Or would that just get too complicated? I mean, we wouldn't. Yeah. You, I mean, you wouldn't need to set it in Tulsa. You wouldn't need to set it in the South. Uh, I'm just curious if something like that might work, or if that would just feel muddled. I don't. I don't know how yeah. I feel about that idea. I feel like it could work, but it would be hard to lean on. Like, what do you lean more on? Like, do you lean more on the struggle between like classes? Do you make it a race? Like, it would be. It would depend on what you would lean on and what you decide this is the thing of the story. Because I feel like it would be hard to do both. Yeah. No, that's exactly right. And and I feel like doing this where you flipped race for class would feel like – it feels like that movie's been made. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm trying to think of like intersectionality outsiders. Like could you do something that was but, – but again, maybe that is the point of the notion of intersectionality is that – that it becomes so complex that that those divides maybe start to melt a little bit. Yeah. Too. So so maybe that's a so I yeah, I don't know like 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 I just I'm I'm wondering how a story like this plays and maybe we don't need to worry about that because the outsiders musical is on its way. Yeah. And then we'll get the uh the inevitable Steven Spielberg's The Outsiders musical, you know, at some point because mm-hmm. he loved making um he loved making West Side Story so much that he's going to take that musical and snap it up and do that or not. Um, let's see. If you could have one prop from this movie, what would you want? Mm. 
I feel like you, if you went for a prop from the outside, you either have to go with someone's switchblade or someone's jacket. Uh-huh. So? I feel like... So, in terms of switchblades, there's two prominent switchblades? Yeah. Well, there's three, because there's the Soch one, but who wants a Soch switchblade? Who wants the Soch one? Yeah, because you'd either go Johnny's or Two-Bits, and Two-Bits is cool. So yeah, maybe... Tubit has like the butterfly knife yeah. switchblade. So I'd probably go Tubit, but Johnny's is a Killed cooler. the so, jo- so. Yeah, Johnny's is like, it's a bigger plot point. Like it's a, it does more important things. So if you had to pick between, uh, you pick, pick the switchblade prop you wanted, which would you want? I would pick Tubit because he's my favorite character at this point. Okay. I, I kind of think that too. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess the other one really is a murder weapon, and I feel weirder about that. So, uh, how about cars? If you could have a car from this, who's who's got the coolest car? I mean, I think I know who the coolest car is. The but... coolest car is Cherry's car. Yeah, Cherry it's has sweet. the Corvette Stingray. Um, and number two is going to be Buck Merrill's. Yeah, it's it's a bit more of like a boat. Like it's a big, um, you know, a big convertible with the back seat and everything. Yeah. But that could be kind of cool too. And then it's the Mustang, I guess. Yeah. After I, that. Mustang's not a convertible, though. I like the convertible Okay, but you think better. after that, what other car is there? Two-bits car, the one they have to, like, yeah, push Yeah, the one they have started. to push, and then the Curtis is, like, four to pick up. Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> so you're not going to yes. go the Mustang I'll take. The, I'll take the Mustang next, but there's only two of us, so don't have to worry about that. Uh, how about clothes? I mean, the different, again, like, the different jackets. Like, Dally's jacket would be cool if you had that. Okay. I, I put a couple other items here. Um, uh, the one of the gas station shirts from either oh from either Steve cool. or um, Soda because they have their name on it, right? Doesn't it say Soda? I think so. Or Soda Pop? I can't remember which. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it does. Like the Soda Pop gas station shirt would be kind of cool. <laughs> that would be. I, I kind of want to wear that. that. That would be pretty rad. Um, I thought about one of the Mickey Mouse shirts, not to wear, but to like frame would be yeah. kind of cool. The only, okay, it's hard because that shirt is, like, if you've seen The Outsiders, it's the most noticeable of, like, yeah, that's a shirt from that. Because all the other stuff they have is kind of, like... Nondescript, yeah. Yeah, it's nondescript. But it's also, like, at the same time, it's not that cool. Like, it's a Mickey Mouse shirt, sure. I guess. So Okay, so going back to the gas station, whose gas station shirt would you want? I mean, you'd probably want Soda Pops, right? Well, the name is cooler. The name is but cooler. But Tom Cruise wore the other one. And it also would be funny if you wore it that you just had something that said Steve on it. Yeah. Because if someone didn't get it, that would be really funny. Yeah, yeah. So would you take soda? Yeah. Okay, okay. The only other thing I thought, I was trying to think about what are other, like, items in this. Mm-hmm. The only thing I could think about, and this is really an Outsiders the Complete Novel item, is the Christopher Medal. Yeah. Because they talk about that, and you see it in the movie a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, I was trying to think, like, is there any other, like, item that people... The only other important item is one of the guns, and you don't want one of the yeah. guns. But, like, Gone with the Wind, maybe, a cop- the copy of Gone with the Wind. Which but... copy would you want? The one they read or the one Johnny writes his letter in? <gasps> you know what? Just the piece of paper that Johnny wrote his letter on. The book with the letter would be cool. Yes. That would be pretty that cool. That would be cool. Yeah, that's that's not okay, bad. That's I, the winner. That That's pretty good. That is pretty good. I still might take the Corvette Stingray. <laughs> um, so this next question is one that um, 
is kind of near and dear to us, but maybe not to our listeners because <laughs> this this is maybe this is something which pulls back the curtain a little bit. We we like to talk off air about like if if there was stay gold like merchandise, like what would be the coolest merch you could you could get merchandise not for the outsiders but for this podcast. Mm-hmm. And we came up with three ideas. So Esme, if you want to come over to the com- to the computer here, I actually created some of these. <laughs> um, so I want you to describe them. And some of these we may have to tell oh, I have stories. To describe them? We may have to tell stories to describe them. So. Here's the first here's the first shirt. So do you want to describe this to our audience? Alright. It is a black t shirt within white lettering. It just says Estevez Energy. So what is Estevez Energy? I have to explain that? Yeah. Well, I, okay, so you should explain I'll that. explain it. So one of the things when we when we do when I do podcasts with people I try to convince them of is you have to sometimes have a little bit more energy in your voice than you normally would. It's like you have to amp it up a little bit. Uh, because it, because otherwise you can kind of sound like you have a dull affect as you're talking, right? So um, somewhere early on in the sh- in the run of this show, we started to talk about how Emilio Estevez would like snap in, like when he would snap to action as two bit, like when he breaks the bottle and gets out the switchblade. We started referring to that to Estevez energy, and if anybody had too much energy, we would say that was cruise energy. <laughs> and it's like, well, you don't want to have cruise energy because that's like. A little like over the manic, top. right? So it's like Estevez energy is what you want to hit. You also mm-hmm. don't want like C. Thomas Howell energy, which is maybe a little not quite enough, yeah. right? So nowhere so, near. So enough. one product we are offering at our Stay Gold store is the Estevez energy T-shirt. Let's see what we have next. Uh, what do we got here? Oh, it's so awesome! It says. Fall. So, so describe the shirt. It's, All right, okay. It's a blue shirt with dark blue lettering and it says fall retreat 1965 and it says j mountain community church windersville oklahoma and then there's a picture of a church that looks like the windersville church and it's on fire (laughs) so i think we talked about this at some point this was this was the specific piece of merch that we talked about at some point that I thought would be kind of a kind of a fun thing, you know, to like if what if the logo for that church was just the church burning, maybe the most famous because it's like clearly in the movie this is an abandoned church. It's not yeah. like there's not Sunday services going on there, but it also seems to be in the middle of nowhere. It's like who's going? Whoever yeah. was going to that church? The farm people, and then they abandoned it. Yeah, so I think like the most the most famous thing that happened to that church was that it burned down in 1965, <laughs> and then our last piece of merch. Yes. What do we got here? It is a green shirt with white lettering, and it says Mustangs in Madness. And there's a picture of a Mustangs, and then it says um, existed since 1965. Yeah, established 1965. Established, yeah. sorry. So can you explain Mustangs in Madness? Because I think we talked about this on the podcast. Yeah, but I didn't sure. think we did, but I'm not 100%. So in this scene where Pony Boy and Johnny are in the park and they first confront the Soshas. They kind of exchange the little insults. And Pony Boys is like, do you know what a Socha is? White trash with Mustangs and Madras. But then in the subtitles, there's a mistake and it says Mustangs and Madness. And, and we instantly regretted not calling our podcast Mustangs and Madness because yeah, we thought that's such a great... It's awesome. It's such a great title. <laughs> so could you think of any other pieces of, of merch from the podcast that you would want? No. Oh, okay. You thought of more? Well, no, these are the three that we brainstormed. Yeah. So I thought I, I made up prototypes. So if you could have one of those shirts, which would you want? 
Hmm. I honestly, I think the fall retreat one is really cool. Okay. Um. Can I tell you something? What? I have a little gift for you here. So you're going to open this gift on air. I want you to open this up. Okay. And describe to the listeners what you're holding, what, what you... Okay, it's a brown bag. There's some napkins. <laughs> you wrap this in napkins. What's well, what I had in the office. It's nice. There's no trash can behind me to throw these Let's just away. put it on the floor. It's fine. Okay. <gasps> yes! Oh! <gasps> Oh my gosh. It's the fall retreat shirt. No <laughs> this way. Exists. No way. Oh, that's so cool. I love it so much. So this is maybe the first piece of, after doing about a thousand podcasts in my career, this is one of the first pieces of like, of a uh, specific podcast merch that I have made. That's so awesome. It's really funny. All right. All right. So, listeners, let us know if you would be interested in any of this podcast merchandise. If we get enough enough people interested, we'll make some of this stuff happen. I'm so happy. See, listen, listen to how happy she is. You could be this happy too with your own Mustangs and Madness shirt, or your own uh, Fall Retreat 1965 J Mountain Community Church shirt, or your own Estevez Energy shirt. <laughs> I think Estevez energy would be hard to explain to people if they were like, yeah. what? I think Mustangs and Madness looks enough like it might be like a sports bar or something where you're or like. Or if you're like me and the high school you go to, their the, colors are green and white and you're the Mustangs. Mustangs and Madness is just cool. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. All right, Mim. So to wrap up the show, we ended every episode by talking about who won the five. So who won that five minutes of the show? And I have a recap of. Um, everybody who won at least one of the five. So we had four people who won it once. Um, Patrick Swayze, the, uh, so who played, um, Derry Curtis, uh, the casting director, Janet Hershenson won one. Milo Estevez won only once, which was surprising he to me. He deserves more. I think he does deserve Do more. Do you know why he only got one? Cause his good performances are so spread out. That's true. He He's never the dominant person in one five minutes. Yeah. He has so many gray moments. Yeah, there's there he doesn't get like the big scene. Uh Darren Dalton won one, uh playing Randy. And I think uh I, again I think I think Cruz would have crushed that. We would have given him two just yes. for that. Uh we had four people win it twice. So the aforementioned Tom Cruise won won it twice, which is amazing how little he's in this movie that we gave it to him twice. Yeah. Um Rob Lowe won the final two. Because uh, they kind of hand the end of the movie over to Lowe for about ten minutes of the of the end of the movie. He mm-hmm. is he is the the main the main character. Uh, Elvis Presley won it twice, where the you know moments where the music sort of just is what transformed the movie. Uh, Diane Lane as Cherry Valance won it twice, and then we get to our top two winning it four times. Playing Johnny Cade is Ralph Macchio, but our champion. Six-time winner is Matt Dillon, and I think he was really the... He deserves it. Yeah, he is really the star. Now, it's interesting. When we started watching this, we commented on how Dillon got top billing in the movie, and I was like, oh, that's a little strange because this is really like a C. Thomas Howell, Ralph Macchio movie, Um, and it is. They're in every, every scene of this movie almost. But Matt Dillon is both the kind of the biggest star coming into this movie and I feel like the biggest star coming out of the movie. Now, you'll notice C. Thomas Howell never won the five. And it's not yeah. because we hate him. He just – there was no five minutes where he was the one who 
was the most interesting, best, or dominant thing in that five mm-hmm. minutes. Um, which surprised me. I kept thinking there's going to be a moment where we feel like, well, this is the time to give it to Howell. And, uh, yeah. and we didn't. So, um, I will say in his defense though, I think Ponyboy is probably a hard character to act for mm-hmm. just because so much of like who you see in the book is from what he's thinking about. And you actually look at what he says and how he actually like presents himself to people. And in a way in the movie, it's a little accurate. He, there's some scenes where it's like, okay maybe wasn't someone maybe could have done better but like it's a hard part to do it's not like matt Dillon playing dallas winston who just has like so much charisma and energy it's a i think it's a much harder role in yeah his I, defense. Think right. I think 100 percent. so we went through and i had each of us rank the the 10 principal actors so C. Thomas Howell, Darren Dalton, Diane Lane, Emilio Estevez, Leif Garrett, Matt Dillon, Patrick Swayze, Ralph Macchio, Rob Lowe, and Tom Cruise. Rank them 1 through 10 um, in terms of who won the movie. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's different than who won any particular five. So we're going to start at who we have. We each have at the bottom of that list and work our way up to number one. Esme, who do you have at 10? I have Leif Garrett just because he's in so little. But I will say the stuff he's in, he's good in. But it's like... He has kind of one scene where he talks, like two scenes where he talks a lot, and then he dies. Mm -hmm. That makes perfect sense to me. I had Dalton at number 10. I almost had him at 10. Just because, like, he's he gets the better scene, but I don't think he's as good. Like, well, I think they they do him dirty a little bit. They don't really give him the Mm -hmm. stuff to work with. That's why I didn't want to give him 10, because it's just like the reason that I'm mad at that part is not really his fault. Mm Mm-hmm. So did, did we did we flip nine and ten? Who do you have at nine? I have yeah, I have Darren Dalton. Okay, and I have I have Leaf Garrett. And I nine. was thinking I might flip them, so I'm kind of even on the two of them. Yeah, I, the reason I had Leaf Garrett is higher is Dalton's the one I wanted to replace. So it's like yeah, you know, and and actually I think Leaf Garrett is almost like overqualified for what he's doing. Mm-hmm. And this, I think he's great, actually. I think his nonverbals are great. That's what I was his, thinking, this, too. Just sort of, sort of like cockiness about him is really, really good. Um, and then he gets out of the movie. So so I think he, yeah. comes, he comes out of this uh, looking a little bit better than Dalton does. Uh, now it gets interesting. Who do you have at number seven? Skip date. Oh, excuse me. Who do you have at number eight? I have Tom Cruise. Me too. Hey. Interesting. Why'd you put Cruise here? Um, Because he's like, he's just such a small part. He's good in the parts he's in, but like, he's a small part in the movie and in the book. And in both of them, it's like, he's kind of their friend that's there. Yeah. He's, he's definitely the, the most periphery friend. He's like yeah. Soda's friend who's also there. Yeah. He's like, he doesn't have a lot of lines and the lines he has aren't really meaningful or have some deep importance. Like... You look at Tubit. He's not in that. He's in a lot more than Steve is, but he's not in it that much. But there are parts that he has, mm-hmm. certain lines that are like good moments where like the part of Steve just doesn't have that. Well, Tubit has to be in the movie. You could yeah. write Steve out and it wouldn't You could write Steve out pretty easily. I also think Cruz is the closest person to acting like he's in a different movie. Like there are yeah. moments where you're like, if you were to notch, rank, like turn this up one or two notches more, it would be it would only be funny what you're doing. And it's like, this is not a moment for that. So like, yeah, like I really actually came to really like him in this movie, but in terms of plus he he loses because he doesn't get much of a part of all these actors. Yeah. 
they have a movie star and they don't give him the part. So I think I honestly think if he's playing Randy, Cruz is like in the top five for me. Yeah, I think because I think he would make that pretty magical, but we don't get to see it. Um, uh, who do you have at seven? I have C. Thomas Howell. Inch. I was wondering where you're going to put Howell. <laughs> I put Rob Lowe here, um, only because Lowe is. I was shocked how little Lowe is in this movie until the very end. Yeah. It's not until the last 10 minutes of this movie that he shows up and he gets to give his speech. But at that point, we've already seen every... So we've already seen everybody else kind of have their moment. Um, And the fact that he seems invisible until then, I mean, he literally is just kind of a pretty face in the room. So... So I I had him there. Uh, why why did you put Howell at seven? This is why. Some of the people, like the people I put below him, like you look at Tom Cruise, Leaf Garrett, like they don't have this big kind of moment. And then Darren Dalton did, but it was cut. There are a lot of parts that were cut out. See, Thomas Howell gets a bunch of these big moments and doesn't really nail any of them, where I feel like all the actors that I put above him have at least one big moment and do really well. That's true. Yeah, I'll, I'll talk about Howell when I get to him. Mm-hmm. So, because I have him in a in a, a pretty different spot than you do. Uh, number six. Now I have Rob Lowe. Okay. And anything more you want to say about Lowe here? We have him roughly in the same spot. Um, if this were the '83 version, he'd be way lower because he would be towards the yeah, very bottom. Because he's like in the '83 version, he kind of functions the same way Steve does. Is he's kind of just there. Where in this, he has that speech at the end that's really good, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. solid. I put Swayze here, mostly because of minutes. Uh, he doesn't have. He doesn't get to be in much of this movie. He gets to be a killjoy through a chunk of the movie. I love every minute he's on the screen, mm-hmm. but uh, he doesn't get much of a part. So I put him there. Uh, number five. Uh, now I have Patrick Swayze. Okay, so so we're similar. It's just where we put him. So I put Diane Lane here. So I haven't. I don't have C. Thomas Howell yet. Oh. I have Diane Lane here. Um, I again, I think she's really good in this movie. The reason I have her down has more to do with the respect I have for what Howell is doing. Um, I think Lane is kind of perfect as Cherry Valance. One of the things that struck me upon this slow watch of it, though, is how little she's in the movie. Yeah. I kept thinking, like, isn't there going to be another? Is there going to be more with her? And there there wasn't. It's because in the book, she's brought up so much. She feels right. like way more of a major character. Right. And I think because they cut out the sunset part, they yes. cut out, like, some of the weighty stuff from her. That I don't think her character seems nearly as important as she should in this movie. Mm-hmm. So she gets dinged for that. So this isn't about her performance. It's like she kind of loses a little bit because she's not given – in the same way Dalton loses because he's not given the, the best stuff that he could be doing, they take it away from Yeah, from see, her. I put her much higher just because it's like I wanted to show – like kind of grade her off of what is there and what she did well and not like stuff she couldn't control because they either cut it out or like didn't make it at all. Yeah. I mean, I think there's really, I don't think there's a really bad performance in this movie. So, Mm-mm. I mean, of, of these people we're talking about, even Dalton, who I don't love and would replace, like, I think he's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, number four, who do you got? Emilio Estevez. And I stand by it. Wow. You have him low. I have Howell here. Oh. I think... um I think Howell has, to your point, I think Howell has like the hardest job to do in this movie. Mm-hmm. So the reason I put him, I put him here is that I think 
he proved he could carry the weight of being Pony Boy in this movie, and he could let his because everybody else is a scene partner of his, and he lets everybody else shine. But I think you're right. He does. There are moments when he's given the like the big part, and he doesn't necessarily kill it. But I think he walks out of this saying, "I can carry a two-hour Francis Ford Coppola movie. Like I can, I can do my part." And like he could, if he was bad, this movie would be awful. Yeah. But he is good enough in this, and I think he's in so much of it that I, I put him at number four. Um, but I can, I can understand where you have him as well. Yeah. Uh, number uh, number three. I have Ralph Macchio. You have Macchio at three. I have Estevez at three. Yeah. Let's talk Estevez. Oh, he's the best. Yes, that's why. Why do you have him at four? Because my feeling was just that there are characters who are in it much more, who have much bigger parts, and who do a very good job in those parts. He's not in a lot. He does a good job in what he's in. But it's just other characters have more, be- like, the amount of good moments they have is more than the amount of good moments he has. I also, like, I was kind of like, if I put him any higher than this, I'm going to seem like I'm biased because he's playing my favorite character. Well, <laughs> so. I, I would say I would say the reason I put him as high as I did is because I think that he doesn't, he does not have the big moment. He doesn't get a speech. He doesn't get a moment where everybody turns and listens to him. Mm-hmm. But he's in a lot of this movie. You can't have this movie without him. Mm-hmm. You could have this movie without him being a good, interesting character and just be like, yeah, who's that other guy that's always around? But instead, he's great. Like, yeah. he He's one of my biggest takeaways of this movie is I think Emilio Estevez maybe should have had a better career than he yeah. had. Because, like, he is... Very, very good in this movie. Um, so, so I that's why I have him even higher than you, the biggest Keith mm-hmm. Two Bit Matthews fan in the world. Um, so you had Machio at three. Yeah. All right. Do you want to talk Machio? I have him at two. So, so we can talk Machio we together. We can talk here. Machio now. Um, I think he does a really good job as Johnny. A lot of his like silent background acting's really good. Like I did not notice that the other times I watched it, but then when I was looking for it, I realized like, wow, he's really good at this. Yeah, and I think I think the reason he won the five four times is because he makes Windricksville good. Yeah. Like he's the best part of Windricksville when and that's a part in the movie where we strip away all of the other actors from the movie, the people who are fun to watch, the people who are doing interesting things. I think he he gets to shine there. And I actually think his stuff in when he's in the hospital is good. Yeah. I think he manages to make stuff that could be cheesy like the Stay Gold and even the letter at the end. Mm-hmm. I think he ever I think everything he touches in this movie he is really really good at. Yeah. Um and you know, I'm interested in a version of this movie where he plays Pony Boy. That would have been interesting too. Mm-hmm. You know, like just as like as an actor, it's like he's he's a better actor than C. Thomas Howell, I think. So it would have been interesting to be like, what if we gave him that role and put somebody else into the Johnny role? I don't know who that would. I wouldn't want to flip him and Howell. I don't yeah. think Howell could play Mm-mm. Johnny, but I Mm-mm. think Machio could play Pony. I will also say why I think he is a really good Johnny is because he's one of the people who most accurately fits their character description yes. like visually like he is exactly what johnny cade looks like in yeah. my mind yeah so i had him at two who do you have it to 
I have Diane Lane. I, I put her I, way. I can't up. argue with it. I mean, yeah. like, like I, it's I like, have her further down. But sell me on Diane Lane at number two. It's just like every scene she was in, I was just struck by how good she was. And it's a thing too of, I don't like the character Cherry Valance. I oh, just okay. don't. And I liked scenes that she was in. Like I got excited when she was there, and I liked to listen to her talk, even though I really don't like that character. So she, so she won you over to Cherry. She didn't win me over. She made it okay. more bearable. Does it change the way you look at Cherry in the book after seeing Diane Lane's performance? That's the thing I'm curious about. Are you more sympathetic to Cherry in the book because you can sort of see and hear Diane Lane doing some of that? No, stuff? it's not even just that I'm not sympathetic to her. It's just like I'm bored with her. Oh, okay. It's just in school when we learned when we did like the Outsiders unit. There were certain lines we talked about over and over again, and a lot of them were Cherry Valens lines. So it's like I find every conversation with her painful because I feel like I know it so well to a point where I'm really annoyed by it. Got it. But like when Diane Lane was saying the lines, like I wasn't that annoyed by it. Well, that's a that's yeah, it's I mean, a plus. And also, yeah. she like Ralph Macchio perfectly matched her character description, and I appreciate that. Yeah, I think she's great in this movie. Yeah. I, I mean, I really, I again, I think. I think everybody does pretty well, and I think the top, uh, I don't know, top six people are, like, kind of great in this movie. Yeah. You know? Uh, who do you have at number one? Matt Dillon. Matt Dillon. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, he's he's the other big takeaway is, like, that guy is a movie star. <laughs> and it, it also kind of makes you wonder, like, wow, did he have the career he could have had? Now, he's had a good career. Mm-hmm. He's been in lots of movies. He continues to be in movies. He's an Oscar-nominated actor. But you look at him in this, and he's, what, 21, 22 years old the, as an actor? Isn't he? For some reason, I want to say he's, like, 19. Okay, so so he may have been younger than that, and you're just like, this guy should just have the world in front of yeah. him, you know? And, uh, and, you know, that's not always what happens. So, it, mm-hmm. you know... It, it makes you wonder kind of sliding doors moments wise, like, is there another version where someone like him has, you know, has a bigger career? Someone like Estevez has a bigger career. Yeah. These are people who have really good Hollywood careers, long Hollywood careers. But like, yeah, it, it kind of makes you kind of makes you wonder because I think he's to me, he's one of those people where it's like he is Dally Winston to me. Like, yeah. Like, uh, you know. If we're t- we talked a lot about book fidelity. Like I saw him, and I didn't have to wonder. Like, oh, I wonder what character he is. It's like that's Dally. Like mm-hmm. that is so clearly Dally, and uh, and he's got a lot of line. He's got a lot of important lines, important moments, and I think he nails that stuff. Yeah, yeah. So he not only won the most fives. I think he wins the movie. I think we both agree mm-hmm. on that. Esme, before we close the show, we're ready to to wrap this project up to say goodbye. I want to just brainstorm any possible Stay Gold Outsiders adjacent episodes. So so we're not going to have an episode next week. We may not have an episode for 10 years for all we know. But um, if we were to do any more Outsiders Stay Gold adjacent content, do you have any ideas for episodes, like one-off episodes you think would be interesting? Um, I think that... S.C. Hinton wrote five young adult books. Four of them were movies. We don't go five minutes at a time, but we read the book, watch the movie, discuss. Yeah. So what would be the one you'd be most excited to do that with? Because hmm. you've read them all at this point. I have you haven't, read them And you've all. seen none of the other movies, I've right? seen, Yeah, I've seen none of the other ones. Um, I'm, I'm really excited for Rumblefish. The Me movie too. looks good. Starring Matt Dillon. 
So have you seen that. any of the movie? Any clips or trailer or anything? Um, I have seen pictures because I googled the cast and then okay. saw some pictures. So Rumblefish has Dylan, has Lane, mm-hmm. I think has Mickey Rourke and um and Nicolas Cage, right? Yeah. So I mean, those are all people who've been nominated for Oscars, or some have won Oscars. So yeah, and then that and that's also the other Coppola movie that yeah um, of the S. E. Hinton movies. So. I would love to do an episode on that. I've read that book. That was my favorite of the – I've read three of her books, and that was my favorite of the non-outsiders one. So I read that was then. This is now in Rumblefish. And I thought Rumblefish was was, – I like that a lot more than that was then. This is now. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was then. This is now is the Estevez directed – written and direct. No, he's in direct. He writes it, sorry. Yeah. Writes and stars in. Um, So I'm curious to see that. That Mm -hmm. one looks looks interesting. I don't know – um, I don't know what to make of it. And then I haven't read Tex. Yeah. You've read it. I have. You feel like that will make an interesting movie potentially? Um. Okay. I think it could. I will say, though, Tex takes place in the same world, but, like, in the country, mm-hmm. not in the city like the other ones do. So I feel like it could be a good movie, but it will not have the feel of... Th- the outsiders are probably the other movies. Like it's gonna feel very different. Okay, it feels more rural, countryish, or mm-hmm. in the book you still get a little feel more of like the outsider stuff. But mm-hmm. like my guess is the movie is gonna feel a lot different. Sure, sure, and that's also Dylan, right? I think Matt Dylan is also in, in text. text. I think so. I don't know. Maybe I, I I believe when we did his deep dive that that was one of his early movies. So might have been. Yeah, no, I'm kind of remembering that. That's yeah. possible. Uh, any other? Any other ideas for potential podcasts? Um, if we see the Outsiders musical, absolutely, it I, shall I, be discussed. If we I, <laughs> if we ever get to Tulsa to see the museum, yes. it will be discussed. Those are both on my list of potential things. Anything else? Um, if we ever watch the Outsiders TV show, that is on my it list will as well. Be discussed. Yeah, maybe not episode by episode, but like if we watch the, I forget if it was like eight or thirteen episodes. I think it's thirteen. Thirteen. If we watch them and then just like our heads explode and we. <laughs> Sit down and try to make sense out of it. We we did watch the opening credits. We watched. I watched a little, a, a few clips. It definitely oh. looks like Tulsa nine hundred two one zero. Like it, like set in the late sixties or set like, in the sixties, but um, but like, it has like an early nineties Fox nine hundred two one zero vibe to it. Just at the like time. the credits made my mind break. Like it was just like, what is this? Yes. Yes. Uh, I have one other thing on my list and then one thing not on my list. Mm, see if I can figure it out. Oh, you can because we've talked about it. I can? It's culinary in nature. I don't know. What? The Outsider's Breakfast. Oh. We thought about doing a podcast where we we uh, try to sample the Curtis Brothers breakfast of chocolate cake with uh, scrambled eggs and grape jelly. Ugh. Yeah, it sounds gross. Uh, but that would be fun to maybe just get an in-the-moment, like, record while somebody is taking a big <laughs> fork full of uh, scrambled eggs with grape jelly. The other thing that I thought could be fun, as we've done these deep dives, I realized that there are a lot of movies that reconnect actors from The Outsiders. So, for mm. example, watching a movie like Red Dawn, which has Patrick Swayze, C. Thomas Howell, and Darren Dalton in it, would be like if we could find movies with at least three Outsiders cast members, yeah. you know, reunited, that could be kind of fun. 
Um, obviously, like uh, like some of the S.E. Hinton ones have people come back and things like that. I mm-hmm. mean, playing different characters, but have some of those actors come back. I think that could be fun as like weird little adjacent ones. Yeah. Um, and then obviously our merch episode, when we do our episode, we get so much feedback about the merch that people want it. We do a whole like QVC style <laughs> you know, video podcasts where we're displaying and, and selling our, uh, our merchandise. Yes. Well, as may, we have reached it to the, we've reached the end. Episode 23 is in the books where there is not, uh, an episode for next week. There's not an obvious place for us to go from here. So my question to you, we've been on this, uh, long journey together, but on this journey with our listeners, with our fans, the outfivers, we know you're out there. We love you. Um, yeah. Was it worth it? yeah wow that that's a resounding yes Yes, it was it was it was (laughs) all right i thought i've i've enjoyed every minute of this it was was very fun to do it was especially fun to do with you uh listeners we would love to hear your thoughts your reflections what you learned are you angry that we did this and for some reason you kept listening even (laughs) though we didn't make you listen you chose to listen uh email us channel 3900 at gmail.com That is all the time that we have. We will not be back next week, but until we are, stay gold.